What is happening, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Dan Cable Presents Podcast. Thank you for tuning into the program once again. If this is your first time checking out the show, thank you for listening. You can find fresh episodes coming at you every Friday. And if you want to help support the podcast in a free way, you can do so by clicking subscribe on iTunes, and that will propel the podcast into the tops of the iTunes charts. Just leaving a review there, clicking subscribe, giving the podcast five stars if you feel like it is deserving of so. And uh, that will really... uh, give more visibility on a national and international level to the podcast and it will help grow the show and it is a great way to contribute to the sustainability of the thing and uh, get more exposure for the artists that come on the podcast to share their music and stories and uh, things of that nature you can also check out the Dan Cable Presents YouTube channel which features a bunch of in-studio performances and live show performances uh, across all genres of music. DanCablePresents.com is the central location to find everything and where the new episode uh, pops up as soon as it is uh, available. It is there on the, the homepage there, but also if you just click subscribe wherever you're listening to, then you will also know as soon as the episode is available on Friday. Um, what is this, dude? There's gunk. There's gunk on the microphone. I don't even know. I don't know how this happens. I don't know what this is, but it's gunky. Anyway, uh, yeah, man. Episode 189 is what is in store for you this week. Matthew Heller on the show. We're going to dive into that momentarily. do want to remind everybody that December 27th is the fourth annual Dan Cable Presents Holidays Party. Super stoked for that. It's a Friday night going down at Alberta Street Pub. Stress is on the bill. They're going to be on the podcast soon. And uh, Cult Crimes is also going to be a part of that bill. And I'm super excited to see what that set is all about. Cult Crimes is a project started by uh, London Van Roy, who has been on the podcast previously to talk about his other band, Small Leak Sink Ships which is one of my favorite bands in Portland. So I'm really stoked to see what London has been cooking up for a solo show. I've been checking out the tunes he's been releasing. So check out Cult Crimes. They're going to be a part of that. Holidays party, December 27th. It is going down. I DJed at Ron Tom's last week on last Saturday, and that was a blast. So thanks for everybody that came out to dance at Ron Tom's. That was really dope and the first time that i got to dj to like a packed out room where the dance floor was kind of popping most of the night and whatnot so that was very cool shout out to uh lonnie over there ron toms for having me and hoping to make it in that regular rotation over there i will definitely keep you posted on all that and then the night after i dj'd at ron toms i went back to ron toms for one of their Sunday night sessions, 
which are really cool if you don't know about those in Portland and you're you're uh, local to this city or you're uh, you're coming to visit and you're looking for good music. Every Sunday, there's a free show at Ron Tom's, and uh, they're usually pretty cool lineups. And it's nice because they start at like eight o'clock on a Sunday, and they're usually over by. 10 or 11 so pretty early night and uh yeah i just saw maita and that band rips and i'm super stoked i went to that show it was really killer and i will have maria from maita the songwriter from uh that project will be on the podcast next week so looking forward to that but this week we have matthew heller on the show and Matthew's been putting out music for close to a decade now, and he's got tons of stuff to check out, and I encourage you to go back and, and check out the catalog, but we spent a lot of time talking about his uh, new record, Temple Moon Desire, and this dude's a great songwriter, and this conversation was a trip. We um, starts off kind of goofy, and then there are some heavy moments, and I just really appreciate matthew's vulnerability uh just opening up to some stories that you will hear within the episode and also just how psyched he was to do the podcast was very cool he was um just kind of like letting letting me know throughout the week how pumped he was to do it and when i got there it just seemed like he he's just a dude of intent and when I got there, I could tell that he um, just had a lot of intention with how he set up the room for me to come over to do the podcast and, and really just wanted to have a cool space set up for it. And I really appreciated that. And uh, yeah, just dug getting to see where this dude's tunes come from because they're I don't know. There's some pretty wild compositions at times as far as the songwriting. And um, it was great to get some insight just on uh, where the fuel for the fire comes from with this dude and, and how much, um, just how important the message is in these songs to him and how important it is for him to to share that message through these songs. And... Um, we talk some compassion and, uh, yeah, just a dude that, that seems to uh, come from a place of, of a lot of empathy. But I'm going to stop uh, rambling about it now so we can just jump into the thing and you can hear the conversation that we had. And don't forget to leave your iTunes reviews. Super important. Can't stress the importance of it enough. If you got a few minutes, it only takes that to do so. If this is your first time checking out the show, Go back, check out some previous episodes. Appreciate the fuck out of you for tuning in. And uh, all you regulars as well. Very much appreciated. And we are going to get into episode 189. Matthew Heller is on the show. We're kicking it off with the first track off of his most recent record, which is called Temple Moon Desire. It's available on all the streaming services. It's out there. I'll put all the links in the episode notes. And uh, this is the first track off that record. It's called Easy. Let's do the damn thing. Heartbreak drop. Pressure stop. 
ready to do the damn thing? Yeah. Get into this. Matthew Heller, welcome to the program. <laughs> the program. Um, I have a whole thing about the program. Do you? What yeah. Do, do you want to hear it? Oh, yeah. Please please do tell. All right. All right. Let's go. Let's go. What, what are you, you have prepared something it. for this? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Because it's the fucking Portland musicians. You've interviewed like thousands of people and bands. Well, maybe not. Not quite thousands. <laughs> we're, not, we're not quite that deep. I mean, but. Hundreds. Um, hundreds you is like hundreds deep because I tried to go all the way back in time and iTunes wouldn't let me, so I just listened to all of them. I need to, before you leave, write down the pod. Oh yes, for the, all the, the past the, ones. Well, you just got to go to uh, Podomatic.com. Podomatic. Okay, yeah. Um, <laughs> what do you got going on here, Matthew? Oh man, it's because I got caught up because I have family from the Midwest as well. Okay. Sorry, am I missing the mic? I have family from the Midwest as well in um, Pod O. He's writing it down now, folks, so that he can can go back. As can you. I like listening to it, and I want to support it. I appreciate that. Um. Oh, for program. Because uh, people from the Midwest say program. Oh, do they? I mean, at least some of my family does. <laughs> it's program. Grab a cold one. <laughs> <laughs> Sit down, face the doldrums. <laughs> if there's problems, you ain't got none. Pass the bowl and just chillin'. Taking skills and gonna kick it for a minute. I didn't really practice that much, but I just wanted to write. I've been into writing poetry lately, and I took a class at PCC, and so I'm just trying to incorporate more poetry and rhyme into my everyday life because when you sit down and write a song it's like okay now i'm gonna write a song it has to be deep and catchy and interesting and then it's like oh that's a that's a lot of things to put on yourself you know yeah so i was like write a program song. just something a little more goofy and and, yeah. and fun uh, i mean yeah i mean every <laughs> mic check one, two, one, it's a program. <laughs> it ain't no program, I ain't your granddad. I don't even need my hazmat. Just Dan Cable and Matt. <laughs> gonna be a podcast, gonna be rad. We are our own dads, just Dan Cable and Matt. No need to hide, no need to run. When sounds collide, it's the program. No need to hide, no need to run. If you're <laughs> if you're playing rugby, you get caught in the scrum. It's a program. <laughs> it's the grummiest grum that has ever been done. It's the grummiest grum that has ever been done. Um, <laughs> I think you have achieved most bizarre and uh, engaging opening to an episode of this podcast, possibly. Uh, cool. Okay. Well, I'm trying um, because when you get up on stage, you also want to be engaging, I think. I yeah. think that's kind of, I mean, there's a lot of in Portland, like bands get up on, I'm not judging. I'm just saying sometimes it's cool to just not take the show seriously and just be like, yeah, I'm just here playing a show at Mississippi Studios. I don't really care, though. 
And I do care. <laughs> like I want your podcast deal. to be interesting and fun and exciting, and I want my shows to be that way too. Yeah, for sure, man. Unfortunately, I'm only one person. If I had like the ability for like multiple tentacle, like extra arms or something, man, I would be so loud and obnoxious. It'd be crazy. <laughs> It'd be nuts. Um, playing drums and piano at the same time, and oh man, my roommate would not. Would I mean, not, not roommate. My neighbors would not appreciate. They wouldn't be super stoked about it. My roommate is just a cat, and she might not be super stoked about it either. <laughs> she's like, "This guy, he's at it again." Him. I'm gonna murder him one day. Well, she's gonna murder. Cats are murderers. <laughs> murderers. Um, Matt, when did you start playing music, man? So, I basically can't. I don't know. It was childhood, and my dad played. My dad did work for the Grateful Dead doing ticket sales at Bay Area ticket sales. And so music was just always in our life. And <laughs> I grew up on a farm, you know, in kind of deep Southwest. And we would have like camp, like <laughs> camping on the farm, and everyone would just be passing a guitar around, singing like old folk songs and stuff. And did your, did your, parents like either of them um encourage you to like pick up an instrument or was it just kind of happening and around you my dad always encouraged me to play music and um you want to move that sucker a little closer to your mouth there my father thank you (laughs) my father yeah i mean what parents don't encourage their kids to get interested in music there's nothing harmful about music every parent so yeah Respect to the rents. <laughs> was there uh, like a particular instrument that, that you gravitated towards? Yes, because early I grew on? up in the 90s. So swing was cool. <laughs> and I was a huge dork. And I just loved all the like dancey, you know, swing kids came out in like 96 and then the Cherry Pop and Daddies from Eugene and like Big Bad Voodoo Daddies yeah. and all that crap. I mean, it's cool. I like it. And like, I still like stuff like that. There's a ton of horns, you know, on my record. I played yeah, alto dude. sax for a little while and Ian, we call him Stan because his last name is Christensen. Okay. And there was another Ian in a different band, Paper or Plastic, which was David Pollock's um, one of a project that was really cool, and that's kind of all how we know each other. And um, he has my alto saxophone, though, at the moment. <laughs> I asked him, like, uh, a couple years ago, like, do you still have my alto saxophone? He was moving between apartments. He was like, no, dude, I don't think I have it. So, okay, I go through my entire apartment, my parents' house, uh, my studio, the studio where I work, and um, no no alto saxophone. And then, you know, a couple months later, Ian's like, oh, by the way, I do have your alto sax. <laughs> cool. Shout out to Ian Christensen. <laughs> uh, did you kind of dig like the theatrical nature of, of that music? Yeah, like dancing around music? and being silly, but I I don't think, I think that was just because when you're 13, like anything loud and obnoxious is cool. <laughs> Fair. Um, and I also like Nirvana and Elliot Smith when I was, you know, that young and stuff. And I was just getting into, uh, I was stealing my stepmom's records, like <laughs> Ophelia, Natalie Merchant, like Up, Up, Up. Andy DeFranco, you know, just getting into all sorts of the cure. Um, God, and then and then I hit high school. And all I could do is listen to music. Um, what was the the first instrument that you jumped on? 
alto saxophone. That was the first? I thought it would be cool, yeah. Okay. It was just super dorky. And my mom played clarinet, and so I inherited her clarinet. And uh, they're very similar and easy to kind of figure out. And then when did you pick up an instrument where you kind of started composing tunes and, and writing songs? I tried to play my dad's bluegrass guitar, and it just, it was a pain, and I didn't have the knowledge, really. So I decided, because you can't sing and play saxophone at the same time. Right. Sucky. And where, was that something you like? kind of always wanted to do? Like you yeah, also wanted to, wanted to sing? sing and play the song so I could compose, be a songwriter. And um, so I just started practicing piano every day. And that's why I always tell people, they're like, oh, I'd love to learn an instrument. I'm like, 45 minutes a day, even less than that. If you do it every day for one year, you'll be so much better. I don't teach music. I'm not even a great sight reader and... You know, it's just if you play the same shitty three chord thing over and over and over again, 45 minutes every day for a year, you will get better. And you'll yeah. be like, shit, this is, I'm, I'm sorry, am I? Uh, oh, you can it? say whatever okay, you want. Cool. This is a, a very uncensored situation. Well, fucking goddamn <laughs> shit then, because you got to do it every day. That's yeah. the only thing. That's, and it's also, it's a struggle to, put in effort, not to practice, but to try and be creative and write every day, because that can really be overwhelming sometimes. Yeah. But you got to just, I think, I think I just try to fight through it. When you, when you got on the piano and started playing a lot, were you immediately trying to compose tunes of your own rather than learning a bunch of covers? I tried to play covers, and I also wrote my own shitty little songs in A minor. And uh, there's this great line that um, <laughs> Fred Rogers says. Uh, I think it's in the documentary, maybe, about Mr. Rogers. And he's like, on the piano, I could be as silly or angry or sad or happy as I wanted. And I was just like, hell yes. That's, that's how I felt when I sat down at the and started really getting the chords, and then and then it's all just in front of you in black and white, which is really laid out in a nice way for Western music, and I just loved it. I just love it. I love playing piano. Yeah, a real piano, and I love doing it. Did you? Um, were those the songwriters you were kind of uh, gravitating towards at that point too? The ones that did well, a lot of writing on piano. I grew up, you know, my dad with the Grateful Dead and um, Elton John and you know, John Lennon and, uh, you know, piano, piano, a lot of piano rock. Yeah. A lot of piano driven music. Um, my dad played piano. And so I, when I was just a little kid, I'd sit underneath the piano and just listen to him, whatever he was working on. And I think it like fundamentally like affected the pathways in my like brain synapses because <laughs> when you're that young like all the vibrations in the world affect you in this certain way and just that piano the sound of piano when i sit down at a, a nice piano it's really liberating yeah also just like super comforting and yeah yeah it's i think it's definitely very therapeutic but i'd say that for anybody like even when i sit down with my guitar and you know get into it i love that i love I love being loud. <laughs> yeah, and just kind of disappearing into that that space and that sound. Oh yeah, I 
I, I do it all the time, and I don't do it enough. And that's why I kind of want... <laughs> I want a record to do well so I, I can get a place <laughs> that I can be loud in. <laughs> um, yeah, did you... Uh like, was it pretty comfortable for you as soon as you, you started kind of trying to put together your own songs and, and share them with people and kind of being that that voice? Wait, what do you mean? Like, were you, uh, like, when you started writing your tunes, were you, were you pretty comfortable with, like, sharing them in front of people and... Because yeah, I know yeah. you had that desire to always like, since be a I was singer. And little, I was always doing like talent shows and bullshit, like the high school. And me and my producer, even in high school, like started a fundraiser for our school, like where we could just front our music and stuff. And um, then I just I went to college in Chicago, and I played all over Chicago, just guitar, just being <laughs> street e, being just silly and obnoxious and trying to be as artsy as possible and dark, you know, it's 2005, six. And, uh, I loved it. And then I moved to New York. I transferred college to the new school and, um, Dave Pollock who produced pretty much all the records, um, was at NYU just finishing up his, uh, music production and, a bunch of friends from Portland were there and we all just kind of fell in with each other. It's how I met Anthony Mead from uh, Sepia Tonic and he plays a lot of, composed all the horns on Temple Moon Desire and he's also from March 4th. Okay. And a lot of the kids in Sepia Tonic are from March 4th and, and they all just did the horns on this record. It's so cool. Except Ian Christensen also did horns on the record. Um, on Temple Moon Desire. So when you, when you started... Uh when you when you really dove into the music, saying like high school, did you you knew that you wanted to pursue this pretty seriously and, and go to music school and, and things of that nature? Um I knew that I was a songwriter and a writer. I didn't really know what I was gonna do and I knew that I didn't wanna like um like study jazz in college because there's so many things I wanted to learn about philosophy. So I got a media studies major. It was pretty broad and that's what the new school kind of let me do which is pretty cool. And um, Explain what the new school is for, for anybody that's not familiar. Well, it's, it's really awesome. Columbia College is also a great school. It's an art school really devoted film arts and music and art school art school. The dorky kind of art school where everyone's wearing a black turtleneck and smoking non-filtered cigs. <laughs> Um, and the new school is basically identical, only it's a, a university, a liberal arts college, and a bunch of connected, um, a jazz college and a theater college. That was a good one. <laughs> that one definitely came through. I love that one. Um, and there are basically, um, during World War II, a bunch of, uh, this is why I really love the new school, is because it's founded by... Um, refugees from Bavaria and Germany who were Jewish intellectuals and um, intellectuals in, in Germany when, when you know, uh, the Holocaust was going on, they had to escape. And a lot of um, professors from Columbia University also just felt like 
that university was becoming so conservative and, and kind of anti-war during, world, during the attempt to defeat Hitler, you know? And so a bunch of the liberal uh, intellectuals from Columbia University started the New School with these Jewish intellectuals and intellectuals who were refugees from Germany and Europe. And um, the school's gone through, like, a lot of stuff. I don't... I can't really talk about the history of the New School that much. But that's why I really liked it. And then it let me create my own major, which was also really cool. Yeah, do, do you have uh, <laughs> Jewish roots, or were you just like... Yeah, my family was from Bavaria, and so all of that stuff is really important to me. I'm not, you know, whatever. No, that's that's I, cool. Like, I kn- yeah, I had no idea that that history of that that particular school. Yeah, and that's why... It, it's kind of, I don't know, it's kind of, they they always have really smart people, um, you know, writers from the nation and other really pe- organizations and uh, magazines and pe- individual celebrities, talking heads who are, support labor, support LGBTQ rights and and the working class and all of that. That's a good way to spend your intelligence, I think. Yeah, just being socially conscious and and whatnot. Um, and is that is that the place that where you really had like your mind blown creatively around that um, particular area of, of people and whatnot, and all of the the art that was going on around you? I don't know. I think I'm still waiting to have my mind blown, but I think. Living in New York was a good experience and trying to be, be in a band there and trying to hoof it all the time. And it was a good learning experience. I don't know if, I don't know if, I guess, I guess the new school gave me an education that backed up like how I already felt. <laughs> and um, New York gave me an educated education that did kind of blow my mind. The city itself coming from Portland, you know, and growing up on a farm. Yeah. Uh, the si- Chicago blew my mind completely, and then I expected New York to be similar, and it wasn't. It was just, it's a completely different city. The politics are different. The vibe is different. You know, New York is beautiful, and, and then I always have this, like, really soft spot in my heart for Chicago because Chicago is incredible. And the art scene in Chicago is just, that's what I kind of wish I never left Chicago, but no, I can't say that. Uh, New York, <laughs> love Brooklyn, love Williamsburg, all that shit. <laughs> uh, when you were when you were in New York, were you solely kind of focusing on your own songwriting, or were you playing in other people's bands? And I was, in a, doing I a was lot? in a band, and yeah, I was just constantly writing songs and trying to record demos. Because oh, I had taken a year off, and in Portland, I and I, I lived in my parents' attic, and my sister was like really young, and I just set up like a trash kit and and some of this stuff that I have sitting around, and and just recorded a bunch of demos. Came back to New York, gave them to my producer, Dave. Uh, he was like, all right, cool. I'm going to graduate in a year. Let's record a record. And we thought about all these different places to do it. Ended up doing it in Portland at a Supernatural Sound in Oregon City, the first, the self-titled one. Yeah. And uh, that's where I met Anthony Medici from Liquid Light and sure. a bunch of other bands. And uh, he's just an incredible musician and a great friend and a wonderful human being. And his whole family is really musical and really cool. I can take that for you. Um, and 
basically me, him, and Dave made the first record, and then the second one, we had a bunch of other people involved, but it just kept building this community, and community, whatever. But it was really, like, fun to expand. Has, uh... Have have you done much of just like playing in other people's bands, or is that no? Not I don't really, really like to tarnish other people's music with my <laughs> horrible skills. I just have zero, nothing to add to another band. <laughs> yeah, have you? Sorry, I might regret having said that in the future if I need a job. But <laughs> have you have you always felt that way? Yeah, I mean, I'm an, I'm a little bit of an extremist and. I just don't want to poison anyone else's creativity or, or thoughts or songs or art. How do you how do you think that would like manifest itself as far as like participating in someone else's compositions or I just don't want to cause anyone anxiety or have any band drama or deal with any of the um kind of cliche atypical bullshit like that trying to form a perfect commune like doles out to everybody and I can handle that but I just thought and I've always loved soloists I love you know songwriters so that's just what I want to do I just want to do it in a really fun way that involves like a cast an enormous cast like we had on Templeman Desire a lot of like Lily Brashears from Shears she's uh, wrote all, like the backing vocal compositions and it was just Which so fun killer. to bring all of these people yeah. in and work with them and I just love that that's where I get really hard no that's where I get really excited <laughs> so what is that that writing we all are together what does that writing process look like for you then as somebody that I don't know really leans into the solo mentality like it is it looks like this it's like all of this shit it's me running around this room and fucking around but like are you someone that that likes to kind of like write in solitude then and oh yeah i write all of my demos and then i share the shit with dave or whoever whatever other producers i'm working with and um and then they tell me to tone it the fuck down or or hey let's roll with that is that <laughs> is that part of the process um pretty are you are you very open to that like they're the, I love the that. feedback for the songs I love getting homework from Dave and coming home and like writing a new bridge or or screwing around with the vocals and just like turning it up on my speakers and screaming into the wall yeah I love that shit I so, love that. so even though you're like very much like a purist to like the solo songwriter kind of thing you are very open to other people's ideas of your songs or, or yeah, just you've ever been production in a, notes and things of that nature? That's where, like, the childhood thing. My dad, like, 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 when I record, like, I take off, like, my watch, turn off my phone, put the wallet away, because those are all things that aren't part of the vibe of music and creating beautiful art. That's money, time, you know, uh, uh, contacts, all that. That shit needs to go out outside when you're gonna create something fun. Cause we're here to have fun, like create good stuff and yeah, say yeah. something about the world and make people feel things. And so, same in the jam. Like if you're writing with some, if you're 
writing, even if you're writing your own music or whatever, it, you, you gotta hear what someone else is doing, otherwise you're not gonna sync up and play. I don't know, but it doesn't mean I don't argue. I, I don't fight it. <laughs> but you're you are open to these things and yeah. and, and other ears about. I don't what know. Your we should ask be? Dave. <laughs> when, if you interview, you should do totally interview him because he's just a wealth of knowledge about all the people and all the things. But um, yeah, ask him if I'm if I'm open to change. I th- I try to be open to change. I'm. And, I mean, I would assume that you like working with him for a reason, and it's because you like what he brings out of you. If you keep working with him, he can stand me, which is <laughs> so the thing that matters the most important in any relationship yeah yeah <laughs> to be able to he's to stand few and far between no there's other i've worked with um other producers and i'm doing a thing with mike quakendall right now and uh, we have a bunch of tapes i wanted to share like a little smidge of it with you and uh no but just going back to like what you're talking about as far as like when you're in that creative space like to not have the wallet and the phone and and whatever else like yeah, eliminate, that eliminating that from your process. Um, I don't know. I just appreciate your your intent overall. Like as, just from walking in here and, and, and you just like having like put some thought into like what you wanted this podcast to be like or, or just like just anything of that nature. It just seems like you are somebody that operates from from a place of intent with uh, with what you do. Yeah, yeah, there is intent. <laughs> there is, um, is definite intent. Yeah. Um, as far as... To uh, murder and kill. <laughs> Inten- intentional sound murder. <laughs> intentional sound murder. That's going to be my podcast. I'll invite you on Dude, it. That's, that's, a, that's a really good name, actually, the intentional sound murder. My favorite, one of my, one podcast that I really like, I drink a lot of tea, and um, it's called Hot Leaf Juice which is basically what tea is. I thought that was really funny. <laughs> hot leaf juice. Well, that hot leaf juice that uh, you shared with me is uh, quite delicious. I have to do it again, and I'll, I'll run in a second and do it. But Well, this is a, a great time to maybe jump into a song then off of the, uh, the Temple Moon Desire. And yeah. uh, this is uh, definitely one of my, my favorite songs on the, uh, on the record. And uh, it's called Learn to Love. And uh, just a, a track I really appreciated off the, uh, off the record. And we're going to get into it off the, uh, the Matthew Heller record. Temple Moon Desire. This is it.
I find there to be a lot of interesting moments in kind of each of the songs that are on the, the Temple Moon Desire record and uh, just in the compositions across the board. And I think that's what like keeps it engaging for me. And that's definitely that that Learn to Love song is is a great example of that. And I just I love that sitting in the VA hospital line. Yeah. Where did where did that come from? I have a I have an uncle and you know I would just go you know he served in Korea and I just whenever we went to the VA just to do the stuff you got to do to keep healthy and stuff it, it was just a lot of a lot of folks there and um just a lot of suffering and I just wanted to give a voice to like all those people who sit in those waiting rooms and like have to deal with that because because they don't always get songs written about them and I think they deserve it I mean they are suffering from war and a lot of the Temple Moon Desire record was written with the intent of being a really anti-war record I had a lot of stuff that I wanted to get off my chest and So that's where the chorus comes from. Yeah, did that, um, did you just have like a lot that accumulated as far as like wanting to get stuff out of your, off of your chest since there was, it was kind of like that five year gap or so between this record and the Tragedy Town EP? Yeah, there's a lot of political songs on the old, uh, yeah, there's a political song on Tragedy Town I wrote because I'm so frustrated about the death penalty um, called No Army. And there's a really political song called Drone Strike on the Invitation record. And um, I felt like I wasn't getting through. And it was rocking and, you know, it was like loud and fun. But I wasn't like telling the stories I wanted to tell. And then, and then, and then Dave, I was writing all these different songs and, you know, about myself and just about what I saw. And, and Dave recommended maybe try writing a song from someone else's point of view. And uh, so I started watching a lot of documentaries and just thinking about like what, there's so much horror in the world and so much negativity. What, what things could I choose to write songs about that might actually impact the people I'm writing about and like change something? Or, or how could it be touching to folks? You know, I'm, I'm, I think as songwriters, we're trying to get inside your head a little bit, but we're also trying to expand your heart and and when you identify with a song, it's because it's like that guy feels me or that person feels me and and like a lot of Andre Franco's early records really saved my life because I felt like there was someone out there in the world who like understood what I was going through, you know, and was only like not that much older than me, but was touring and doing all this stuff. And I thought, oh, someone at least one person in the world like who I've never met before, like can can clearly and eloquently explain a lot of feelings and just that's what I want to do with my music. Yeah. I want to help people bring people in and be like, you are not alone no matter how isolated you feel. What was it like um, trying to write from someone else's perspective rather than your own? It was super trying and difficult and hard and frustrating and I met um, 
Well, I got into this BBC documentary about Afghanistan. I never really thought about Afghanistan that much. I just thought it was another shitty war that the U.S. was involved in, and I just didn't like it or any... I just don't like war. I yeah. don't have a problem <laughs> saying I just think it's awful and horrible, and I don't think veterans are bad. I just think war is nasty. Right. So I wanted to just maybe write songs that cut it there without getting into this incident or that incident, you know, because how you could all, you could describe all the torture, bombing, shooting, killing, uh, that's kind of mind numbing and, and, and a downer. So I wanted to, I, I became involved in this kind of, um, journalistic program with this girl from this BBC documentary about Afghanistan. She, she had ridden a horse in like the late nineties and she was the first woman to ride a horse in Afghanistan because only men are allowed to, or at the time only men were allowed to ride horses. And, um, I was like, I wonder, I wonder how old she is now, like, or if she survived the war and all that. And it turns out she was a journalist working at Tolo television, the biggest, uh, news television station in Kabul. And, uh, I hit her up on Facebook and she wrote me back and was like, Hey, like, like your song, like your music, let's, let's do something. Let's shoot something. And even at that point, like, uh, as talented of a journalist as she was still being a woman, um, trying to get a camera video camera in, in Kabul and in Afghanistan is difficult. So she really struggled a lot. Um, and what we were going to do is I had this song called girl in green, uh, uh, it was going to be like this anti-war kind of song. And she was going to do face-to-face um, -face interviews with women, children, men all around the city. And uh, she really busted her ass to get these interviews. A lot of people don't like to be filmed or talk. And it was really hard. And then she, she's also, you know, she was also fluent in, you know, Arabic, Pashtun, Farsi, Persian, Dari, French, English, and so she was kind of just an incredible human being and had survived, you know, all of the wars. And um, But right at the end of, of her editing the film and stuff, uh, a Taliban suicide bomber drove up into her bus and, and detonated and killed her and, like, 12 other, I think 12 other um, journalists, employees of Tolo Television. And... I don't know. It was a horrible loss for the, I thought it was such a terrible loss for the world. And I just thought like, this is what war does. War like takes away all the, the good things in life and it just ruins it. And so after that happened, Dave and I got back together and we tried to kind of meet and think about how are we gonna finish this record and I decided that we had to make it, we had to make it just, I just had to say that I think that the war is not the answer, it's, <laughs> that it's just the worst possible way to solve a problem um, and bring attention to, you know, across the globe, how journalists are often, and I, I, you know, I'm not a journalist. I was just a guy pretending to be interested in journalism that was gonna use it for my music career. 
and and I learned just I don't know. I for a long time I felt like getting her involved might have caused more awareness of like her being a woman with a camera can be really dangerous and you know my friends I made lots of friends who are Afghani and they and other journalists and you know we've all kind of become kind of a group of people who knew Miri Azizi and um miss her yeah <clears throat> and yeah dude that's that's a heavy connection to have somebody like to somebody and and to like lose them to that particular situation um i would imagine just like yeah it was really hard sheds even bigger light to you of the uh you know the bullshit of war and, and yeah the last thing she ever said to me was like let's do this peace and love like we're all about change and it's really funny that i've learned so much about afghanis is that they really want peace and love like more than anything else any of the politics or the wars or the corruption or the taliban or anything anything else people on in all of the situations of the songs it, it was like there is this overwhelming amount of compassion that exists in the world and it is flowing out of every human at this rate that is completely impossible to understand or or um fully recognize but it's there and if you just open your eyes it's like john lennon like, like compassion is real if you want it yeah it's uh I had this dude zach clark on the show last year sometime and and uh he was just talking about this idea if you kind of treat everybody as if they are magic and there's something like good like within that. them yeah like and that and that has stuck with me heavy of just like if you treat people like that you know and treat strangers like that then you'll get like a different experience out of them i i feel like and and yeah most people are you know compassionate folks who like want peace and they want to be good and they're not they want to be heard too and that was kind of the big thing about the project that Miria Azizi and I had worked on was that it was the whole idea the whole idea came from democracy now. I have to give credit to Amy Goodman and democracy now because I love them and I love the intercept and they really got me going because I read uh, Jeremy Scahill's book and I'm a huge supporter of the intercept and democracy now and one of the questions Amy Goodman asked, um, it wasn't a, an Afghani. She was at, oh, she was asking, I think, a Rohingya refugee, what do survivors of war need to be happy? Like, once you've survived a war, what do you need? And no one ever asks that question. So that's, I wrote like 20 questions, just based, sub-questions based off of what do survivors of war need to be happy people. Because being a survivor of war, whether you're a veteran who served or you're an individual who in some way was caught up in it or it just affected you because war expands exponentially, what would those people have to say? What do they need to be happy? And so that's what Miri asked every person and did the translations for. And it's really sad that that information was lost when she was murdered. And um, 
nonetheless, I think it's a it was our guiding principle for the songs on the record. For for the Temple Moon Desire? Yeah. So that just like fucked up and changed your your whole lens for it did. It was kind of um I had to turn around and and think what are we really doing here? Do you man, I I went back and kind of checked out your catalog of tunes prior to this and you know, you've been putting out music for a long time, close to a decade. Um like so. on record under your Matthew Heller name and um I think that there's some great tunes going throughout the the records and yeah, I dove into invitation and, and found some cool stuff in there and definitely like um I'm I'm confirmed with my my thoughts of, you know, that there's definitely some strokes influences and you know, coming in this room there's there's some uh, some strokes things on the wall. So definitely happy definitely. To, happy to uh have those feelings confirmed for myself. My assumptions were perhaps correct, but yeah, and there's some like I don't know, grittier, bluesy, kind of like white stripes feels on on some of that stuff that I really appreciate. And then getting into Tragedy Town, there's some like Tragedy Town and Fault Line are killer songs. Thank you. Off of those, and uh, but I don't know with the with the new record with Temple Moon Desire, I feel like you took all of the good pieces of those things and you combine all these elements, but still have like you have this record that has a very congruent feel throughout the record. Well, that is so kind of you to say. Thank you. Thank you. And I just feel like it, it's your, um, you know, it's a, it's a big collection of tunes. Yeah, it's 13 tracks, and it is supposed to kind of take you a, a little bit around the world. You know, you mentioned the Remember song, and that... Um, well, I went to Israel, and not because I'm like a super Jew, just because there was a studio there and I was doing some work there and I just met some incredible people, but it, I guess I had to stick with the theme on the record of trying to give a voice to using whatever I, I mean, I can't speak for refugees or for victims of war or for veterans, but it's just how I feel is the compassion that I want to share with the world. And people don't have to listen to it. They don't have to love, they don't, you know, have to agree with me even that war is shitty. They, you know, well, I mean, your perspective is also like informed by, you know, these relationships that you've had with like this woman, Maybe this journalist. Yeah. This journalist who dies and as as a part of war and sitting in those VA hospitals with your uncle like so it's not like you're you have not personally been through those things but your perspective is informed by the by people around you who have been affected by those things and when you think of all the people not just in America but especially in other countries who have been affected by war who have had their families separated who have been who's this is when we did a lot of the record in um, El Paso, um, a lot of folks we were working with had, you know, family who were refugees and who had been through a lot of that. So that's why, that's kind of why the song, It's Impossible to Learn to Love with a Wall Between Us, because you can't, you can't really learn anything. You can't learn anything with a wall between you, whether it's a physical, you know, Trump's wall or a 
emotional wall, like in a relationship, right. a marriage. I mean, I think that's also like what I really appreciate the tune, like about the tunes is, you know, you're telling me now, like a lot of this, you know, is, is influenced by politics and, and war and these experiences. But listening to the record, I think that your lyrics allow enough mystery for them to be whatever they are to anybody listening. And it could, could easily be as like something in regards to a relationship rather than like when you talk about the wall or what, what not. It's just, you gotta look. Love is such an overused word. It's in every advertisement for Coke, for, you know, Google, for all the shit. But love is something that we have to learn to do better. Otherwise your life is really hard because you might fall in love and feel love feel loved as well but nurturing those things and that's what I said about compassion is that you have to really be disciplined in growing it f more and further and it's hard because sometimes yeah. I want to be a dick to people and sometimes I am and then I feel shitty about it well I mean the the I've, I don't know. I've, I've talked about that. I've talked about this a couple of times on the podcast, but I think that the true challenge is is having compassion for the people that you don't understand or don't agree with, or right. or you know, totally. it's easy to be compassionate to the people that you love and like right. connect with, but you know, to uh, identify someone maybe that irritates you or pisses you off and then trying to find compassion for that person yeah. and, and like, Oh, how, how do I try to find an understanding of like, or what? just to communicate, even if you're not going to love them, um, communication is the first step. And that was one of the things that got Mary and I working really closely together is that I didn't know that in, in Kabul, um, the Taliban pays children to like cut down power lines. So there's frequent brownouts. And so it made our communications really difficult because it was hard for her to get a call out or a, an email out. And um, we had to, to fight to communicate with each other. And that was just one small thing that taught me some, some extra patience. Yeah. So I don't know the ability to listen or wait and be patient for an answer. Yeah. Well, it's cool to, I don't know, just get to hear about where some of this stuff is inspired and, and uh, fueled by, because I think along with, you know, you obviously have vocals to provide a narration for expressing your feelings, but I think that the instrumentation and the big musical breaks also tell a story very well and provide like... A, just a lot of a lot of good feels man just from that opening track easy as soon as i put that on that was the first track i'd never never heard any of your music before and i put that song on and the keys kick in and i was just like oh there's so much feel in the keys like i'm already into this and uh wow, that means the world to me thank you so much yeah no it i just really appreciated like how the record kicks off and i was just very um yeah just engaged from the get-go and just wanted to find out more about the record and then as i like the deeper i went i just found like all these different dynamics and the horns i'm such a big fan of horns in music and and i thought they were just like very well placed and whatnot just 
Yeah, and the whole record just sounds really amazing. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Absolutely. I'm so glad you feel that way. I, um, yeah, it, it is having a little bit of trouble breaking through to people, but I'm glad you liked it. It's um, it's dense, you know. It is. So I think people are a little bit, and it, and the subject matter is also kind of heavy a lot of times. So. I think it has a lot of fun poppy moments too, though. Like I like when I <laughs> listen to, to it. Trash talk my like, own record that we're trying to promote. No, right no, now. Yeah, it is good in those ways, and I appreciate those aspects of it. And yeah, thank I, you. Also yeah, I just that. think that there's like there's a lot of cool, like these are just like very cool pop songs that have a lot of character to them. A lot of them and. And I don't know, man. Like, I don't know what happens to you as a songwriter in those five years, like, aside from, you know, the inspiration for the tunes, but just as a musician and whatnot, what what happened within between Tragedy Town and and the uh, the Temple Moon Desire record. But I just feel like the, the songwriting just kind of hits a, another level with this badge of tunes and kind of, cool. I don't know, I get, like, like the compositions and stuff give me like those, those Brian Wilson feels and cool. you know like I Thank you. just and yeah just like Beatles vibes and and all those cool fucking bands that everybody has so much respect for and yeah I think your voice is is killer and just you really too kind yeah I just <laughs> I mean. I don't know, dude. I just I I don't. What usually, would you improve though? I wouldn't do this if. Uh, like I wouldn't be having this conversation with you if I didn't like the music. It's kind of been the thing with this is uh, I don't want to like talk to people about their music if I don't really like if it doesn't really connect with me. I guess yeah, that'd be hard. And because it, it's hard to do it genuinely, I think so. It's uh, it's uh, yeah. I, I dig <laughs> you the could, tunes. You might not be might not be the best though. So tell me about your shitty awful record <laughs> how much it sucks and how boring it tell is tell me about this music i don't like very I much i don't like it at all but please um convince me I mean, that might be a fun podcast are you writing primarily on on keys or is the guitar a big part of your writing process as well for this record i i took a lot of time to do piano songs as the it's obvious on the record and there's only a couple of guitar songs on the record i and dave always tells me don't call them piano or guitar so they can be just songs and they are, but I I can only do one thing at a time. Right. So sometimes I sit down at the keys, and that, I really love doing that. We have, like, almost 19 new songs that we're about to finish another upcoming record. Oh, crazy. And a lot more guitar songs on that. But, yeah, I for Temple Moon Desire, I really spend a lot of time at the piano. And I also got my own piano that we in, put in, in Fortress Galaxy Studios where I work, and um, it's just beautiful and I learned how to tune pianos. Um, my piano tuner, Mark Mention, he's a great guy. Shout out Mark Mention. Uh, he taught me how to tune a piano, so I've been doing that. And it's just, I just love getting in there and messing around, doing silly stuff on the keys and all that. Yeah, are you somebody that, like, when you find something that you really dig doing or, like, something like instruments and pedals, do you geek out, like, super heavy on all that stuff? I try to geek out as much as possible, but I also... Also, just try to sit down with the instrument and, and be real because there's only so much button pushing and knob twisting I can do if the song 
isn't something that I think people would. It doesn't even matter if people is it. If you don't love the song, then it's hard to nerd out about all the cool stuff. But yeah, of course I love to nerd out about all the cool stuff. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, look around. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I don't know. It just seems like not look around. There's you, like there's the types of musicians that that like to just play music, and then there's and then there's the musicians that love to play music, but also love to just go deep and immerse themselves in in all of the different you know tech side of it and figuring out all that stuff is i mean you're just talking about learning how to tune a piano like properly and whatnot you know yeah dave and i both nerd out we're like the different kind of nerds but we both love getting in that stuff like i have this chinese like harp kind of thing that we hit on the strings and it's just creates this really eerie sound and it's really fun and you know when i lived in brooklyn my friends are in this band called freelance whales and they were, like had a lot of these That's a really, really like, funny fucking band name, dude. I love Freelance that. Freelance Whales. Yeah, they had this song that it had a commercial at some. I forget what for. Probably a car or something. And I think they played with like they were kind of like in that zone of like Passion Pit and like MGNT and all that. And we were just hanging out in Brooklyn doing that thing. So I really like and and like you know music really changed has changed a lot just since I graduated high school. Like I'm only 33 and I feel like, you know, what was really fucking hot shit in 2005 is, would be very different now. And I've, I feel like I've just soaked a lot in and just loved all of it, you know, from, you know, early December as you look at what they're putting out now and like, Oh, it's like the most recent, like I kind of grew up on like ugly Casanova, like, do make say think, you know, like for me, like going to Music Millennium on on twenty first, twenty third, twenty first, I think. When it was there, there was a Music Millennium there, and like I couldn't get all the way out here because I lived kind of far off, and like I needed like twenty bucks, and then you know I needed a new record to listen to, but like I needed to get there on the bus, and then talk to a guy and be like, I like you know, Ugly Casanova, I like Built to Spill, you know, and what would else would I like? And dude was like, I don't know, like, have you checked out Broken Social Scene? Like, I got my first Broken Social Scene, like, EP, and I was just, like, on the bus, just, like, waiting to open it, you know, <laughs> trying to get home. I was just like, I am going to play the shit out of this record when I get home. Same with Joe, I went to this, I found out about Joanna Newsom from a friend who is a Devander Van Hart fan, and then I saw her um, in an, a late underground show in Chicago and oh my God, it just blew my mind. And, and now where she's at, like in her songwriting career, I just think like, I want to do different shit as I go get older. <laughs> yeah. I think that's what I appreciate kind of going through your catalog of tunes too, is like each record is pretty different and you can just kind of tell that you've, uh, you appreciate a bunch of different kinds of music and it doesn't seem like you're afraid to like let those influences bleed into your creative process yeah i want it i want i want people to be like this is like this because it's like i'm just paying homage to people i love and i'm trying to not just do their thing i just want to there was this one article in i think i think in the oregonian about my first record when it, it was titled hell or heaven and um, one of the, like, one, 
it was a really positive review, of course, but one of the um, comments was like, if Matthew Heller like focuses in on one thing, he'll really like do that. <laughs> and I kind of, I, I took that criticism seriously and have tried to do that more, but also, you know, why not have like a funky breakdown song as well as like a serious ballad yeah. on the same record? Why not just mix it up a little? Well, I think you really achieved that though with Temple Moon Desire is like achieving cool. that balance of of having things that feel very different but all seem to go together with this record and you still have some of those instrumental breaks that seem to be a common theme throughout all of your your records. Those are the most fun. Writing bridges is literally my favorite thing. If I could get a job only writing bridges, I would do that. Because, you know, you have, like, verse, melodies and chorus, melodies and chords, chorus, and then you're like, bridge, let's do something really fucking weird. Let's get way out of line. And that's where I excel. Because, like... In the, especially in the live performances, it can be like frustrating to bandmates who are like, "Where is where is he going?" But I think like when I see other musicians like 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 Warren Zevon, like he goes on some tangents sometimes, and the band is like, "Okay, I guess we're just gonna keep our eyes and ears open." I can understand for my backing band how like not frustrating, but that can be kind of it can it can kind of throw. Uh, it can kind of throw you for a loop, but I think that's what makes the performance better. And if we can do performances like that at gigs and also do records that have that where you're like, all right, cool, I went to a different place. Because, I mean, I don't know. What do you... Do? I mean, I like it when I was like, well, I was not expecting that in a song. As far as like going to see like a band that you're familiar with or just in general, like when you're listening to a song and the bridge takes you like... In general, yeah. but there's a bunch of... I can think of a bunch of cool examples, but like especially some of the weird like stomach song, right? Broken Social Scene or some of their earlier work or even some of the like... You know, there's just great stuff in like Chords and Dinosaur Jr. and yeah, like, of, like where it's like, oh, I was totally not expecting it to go here. When it's completely unpredictable and just takes you, yeah, takes you to a place that you weren't expecting is is uh yeah, that's always a super fun moment, especially when it when it happens in the bridge of a song and all of a sudden you're in a much different space than you ever thought was possible with this tune. I love that and I love doing it sincerely. So I'm not just going to like plow you with some random noise. You're not going to you be know. shocking just to be shocking. I might. There. I might be shocking just to be shocking a little bit. Like, but like, are you are you I going think to sabotage the song just for the sake of that? I'm not going to sabotage the song, but I do want to just grab you by the nuts a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> nice. I, I will refrain from literally doing that but as far as uh live performance are you someone that enjoys the songwriting and the recording of music and composing of it more than the performance side or is it kind of an equal thing they're equal i just hate booking yeah well booking, booking fucking sucks dude <laughs> i just hate it so much and it makes live performance sh not as fun as recording because when we go in the studio, I'm 
like prepped, right? I'm like, all right, I had my tea. I'm ready to let's do some sh- creative shit. <laughs> you get on stage and it's like, okay, cool. We just like practiced for three hours, loaded a shit ton of stuff up, got into this place. Like the bartender didn't know who we were. The booking agent didn't remember that we were playing tonight. Yeah. And no one showed up and it's Tuesday and it's pouring rain and we're just going to rock this house. But it's, uh, I don't want to get negative. I don't want to. There's just just, a lot of variables. Special booking town. (laughs) I mean, I just think in general, there's just a lot of variables to the to the situation, and it's. Uh, I think there's a lot of gatekeepers to in, to be honest, and I think that um, there are some new bands and folks coming up that I'm really like into, and it's kind of breaking down a lot of those kind of mid two thousandsies kind of vibes and also just the fact that there are so many more small businesses and places that love music and want to have folk singers and you know buskers and punk bands come play at their you know food cart or their yeah restaurant startup or whatever it's still a very cool city for that yeah that's what i like i like i like playing house shows because i like just moshing with the audience and screaming at them and abusing them (laughs) and telling them their fucking shit I'm sure they. And then we, I'm sure then we all hug that. it out at the end of the show. And we cry and we. <laughs> such a good I love you. I love you too. Um, we're gonna play it out with a song called "I Can Turn It." Sweet. And you were uh, you were telling me this song is a little bit about Portland. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a lot about me and I. I this town has changed so much, and I don't want to go blah blah blah. That Portland is changing heard that a million times right yeah but you've i don't know you grew up outside of here so you've really gotten to see the way that it's changed over time opposed to maybe someone that's been here just a few years like i've i've been here for almost seven years so i feel like i caught the tail end of all like there being construction on every single corner and right and kind of caught yeah that tail end of like smaller town portland where things were still relatively cheap and and now it's you know we kind of tried to do that with the music video for Orange Cup, talk about how um, gentrification has affected people of color in the city, and we tried to bring some awareness to that. I don't know if I'm the right person to speak on that subject, but I tried to just put my heart out in that way. But for the song that you're talking about, I can turn it. Um, you know, you asked me what was the mind-blowing thing that happened to me earlier one of the mind-blowing things that I would, like, when I was in high school, I was a real, <laughs> real dick. Yeah, me too, dude. I, I, <laughs> but I was like an anarch. Oh. I was like involved in all these collectives and organizing against the Iraq war. And it some coincided food, food with not the budget shit. Cats. Yeah, I mean, I knew all those cats. And I was in a, a small group of teenagers from around the city uh, called PVOG, Pacifist for the Violent Overthrow of the Government. It's pretty funny. Pretty <laughs> immature and naive and hilarious. But there was one um, anti-Iraq war before, um, during the run-up to the war where, like, it was me and all of my friends from high school were there, and we were, like, locked up. And it was just like, we're going to take one step forward to show the city that, like, and the police department, obviously, and the 
riot cops and all that shit, that, that this isn't over, that there's a whole generation of kids who are going to be adults in a few years. And I remember taking that like one step and just getting beaten by riot cops and, and maced and, and, you know, tear gas and all that. Uh And, and, but nonetheless, I think that was the mind because it was like, when you are in it, when you are real, when you do something like that with people who you love, it really changes and people see other people surrounding see it and they, they are changed as well. And there's always music involved in that. And that's what I want to bring into the world. <laughs> I want to bring in more compassion and, and also a militant leftist viewpoint, but, but mostly compassion. <laughs> um, I can light it up though <laughs> um, It's the jam I can turn it I can turn it I can turn it up I can light it up I'm Yeah I can turn it all around cause, cause, Because you do have the power To turn shit around In your life Personal life but In the world too That's what I learned on and I know this town, like, and I know that, like, we can turn this shit around, like, make it, make life better. Yeah, I do, yeah, absolutely. I feel like you kind of got to do it for yourself to make it happen, you know? Yeah, and, and do and it for yourself, but let that light shine. You know, I've always afraid, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. Oh, no, you're good. But I'm always afraid, like, am I attention for you? Am I attention for you? Am I attention for you? Lately, I've just been like, Yes. The answer is yes. And if I have to pay for that, that's fine. But also I just want to let, I just want to let it shine out. That's why I want to be loud. I want to be loud. <laughs> for sure. Yeah. I just, uh, I, I think when you, as far as like turning it around for your, yourself or whatever, I just think like when you, when you do that and you're, I don't know, living a life that you're stoked about, then it just kind of, like other people can see that and that's light enough for them and they yeah you don't have to like tell people how how to be or how to live or whatever and it, no no as much as i want all my songs to be a prescription for the universe <laughs> I, I really do i really wish i could do that for people you can't force people to change you can only put love into it but okay i i wanted to say because because so i grew up on that farm and and, you know, I, I have a pretty typical story for a, a white kid from Portland. You know, my parents got divorced or whatever. And But the kind of non-typical part is that my mom was this just incredible person uh, who was like a cowgirl and just knew. But she, you know, also had a drug addiction that ended up killing her, you know, when I was nine. And I could let all of those, all of those, all the negativity, you know, draw me down and all the post-traumatic stress from... Just living in a house full of people who were violent and uh, had addictions and had problems, were refugees, that could be really debilitating. And it is to lots of folks. And now I have this life that I have the ability to write songs and put them out there. So I want to put songs out there with like a full heart that it's not like poor me, it's like let this song just get you through your day. If you have a, if you have one song that can get you through your day, then God, you know, 
You're in good shape. Yeah, I'd say. Yeah, man. You're going to make it to the next day, which is the most important thing. Well, I appreciate all your your compassion and your full heart because, like you said, that could have, I don't know, all of those things could... I'm not Gandhi or anything. Yeah, (laughs) but, like, all those things could have shifted in a much different direction, and I would assume, like, all of those experiences um, have made you into that person, that compassionate person. Yeah, and it doesn't make me, you know... A Zen. I, that's why I like loud, angry. I love the Smashing Pumpkins, Nirvana, and you know, and the flip side of Frank that. Black and the Pixies and everything. Yeah, man. This. I mean, I mean, I'm laundry list of bands I wanted to share. I feel like I'm very. I don't know. Very much the same in that way. Is like as much as I try to be up and compassionate and, and joyful. Like I appreciate the fuck out of some some darkness and, and some very like angsty music and you know the uh, towns van zandt said uh, um, for the invitation record katie bell van zandt towns van zandt's daughter did the artwork and i'm gonna go see her in a little bit and do some little mini tour in nashville oh that's wild and it's gonna be so much fun i'm looking forward to it shout out katie bell van zandt she's just such a cool artist and photographer and just a really mellow person and but her her father i'm a big fan of said like there's a difference between, you know, loneliness and being alone. And um, I don't ever feel loneliness, but it's like the difference between being poor and broke. <laughs> and I really like that saying because I don't really ever feel alone in the world. I feel like a ton of love and being held, but everyone feels loneliness. Yeah, absolutely, man. And that's why we play music, to feel less alone. Fucking A, we do. <laughs> right? That's why we listen to it and, and uh, go and support it and art in general. So, Like um, uh, Lucinda Williams, like, it's, I, that's the kind of school I think I come from is the real broken guitar strings and bloody fingers. It's Lucinda Williams' song, you know? Or real bloody fingers and broken guitar strings. Yeah. That's, I think it's real. You have to be real when you write. That's why I, I like to get into the nerdy stuff, but I want it also to... I want you to know that this shit wasn't a game that I played. I, I had to learn from going across the world and trying to meet this girl and, you know, watching people suffer and... It's, it doesn't make me a fucking saint. It just means that I took the time to carry a, a, a weight and turn it into music instead of turn it into some nasty personality trait or something. Yeah, and it's all very real to you. Um, Try. I appreciate the music, man. And and I appreciate just your, your openness on here and the conversation gets to, get to know where... Where your tunes come from a bit. Very cool, man. Thank you. <laughs> I'm glad. I'm glad you feel that way. Absolutely. Um, we end every episode of the podcast with the, the guests saying the tagline. It's a program. He knows. It's the grummiest grum that has ever been done. <laughs> it's the grummiest grum. It's a program. It's like yum for your tum tum. It's the best grum that I ever did done. Going full circle here. Full circle program. It's a program. It's a program. It's a program. Grum, grum, grum. It's Matthew Heller, everybody. I appreciate you, Matt. Thank you for coming and hanging out with me or, or having me to your, your spot and yeah. 
letting me uh, take your brain about this stuff. You gonna rock out and be loud now? Do you want to? <laughs> I don't know how that will mix in with us playing it out with. Uh, I can turn it off of your, uh, off your most recent record, Temple Moon Desire. I'm gonna put all the links in the episode notes so people can follow along with you. Yeah, I hope they will. I come check us out because we're gonna we're booking a whole thing right now, playing. Uh, we're playing a house show coming up soon. Uh, we're do- I'm doing a few house shows in Eugene because I just love house show vibe. But we're also playing um, uh, Vancouver, The Couve, uh, Eugene, Ashland, uh, Boise, Seattle. It's all coming up. There are cool. notes about gigs and venues and times for those things. Well, I'll put the Instagram handle on on the in the notes as well so people can uh, keep up with you there with the the upcoming shows and whatnot and we're gonna we're gonna play it out with i can turn it and that is the uh the jelly jams everybody it's a program we will catch you on the flip side portland
It's the grummiest grum. It's a pro grum. It's like yum for your tum tum. It's the best grum that I ever did done.